Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. And welcome to the Rotoball Baseball Podcast. I'm DJ Short, and I'm joined here, as always, by Drew Silva. And we're in the final week of the 2020 MLB season, the regular season anyway, with a wild postseason awaiting us. All kicks off next Tuesday uh, with four games, and we'll have eight on Wednesday. So it's going to be a wild time and something we've obviously never seen before. So it's going to be pretty, pretty interesting, to say the least. But if you're looking for some last-minute strategy in fantasy leagues, you will get that later in this episode. We'll talk some streaming options for the weekend. But the purpose of this episode is to discuss some takeaways from the 2020 season in general. This is both from the real baseball and fantasy baseball perspective. We each came up with five. So the plan here is just to bounce back and forth with these. And Drew, when we were coming up with this plan... I think the hope here is that this is this is uh, something that can live for a little while. People can come back to as they reflect on the season. So uh, hopefully something that could be relevant even a few weeks from now. Yeah, just sort of a way to do a kind of season wrap up type episode um, and like drilling down on some topics that we find relevant. We're not going to hit everything, every breakout star, uh, but we'll look back and look ahead and yeah, just kind of wrap up what, what we've seen in this weird pandemic 2020 season. Um, I'm looking forward to the playoffs, man. It's It's been a grind, these 60 games. Yes. Um, and it'll be nice to actually just sit back and watch a lot of highly competitive baseball um, without having to think about fantasy angles of it. Yeah, um, totally. it, it'll be it'll be nice to put this year in the rear view. I'll say that. Uh, yeah, I think you speak for everyone as far as that's concerned. Uh, by the way, I think the biggest takeaway uh, for this season for me, you know, especially as you were saying with a global pandemic going on, is that I'm never going to take anything for granted again, mm-hmm. whether it's, you know, going to a baseball game or even just having baseball. Uh, if you remember the, like the three months without sports, basically, like that was it was really hard. I mean, I'm sure you understand this, like since we've been doing this 10 plus years at Roto World, like really living in that routine. So it was just totally jarring to like my whole life experience. Um, obviously minimal, uh, you know, it's just an inconvenience basically for me compared to what's going on in the world. But it's just been such a weird year where, uh, you know, even if it's like going out to a movie or like going out to dinner or seeing family and friends, just stuff like that in general, like an overarching takeaway from this year is like, just don't, don't take anything for granted. Yeah. I mean, I, I tried to like turn it into a positive. We talked about it when we had those shows where we had nothing to talk about. Like I started riding my bike a lot. I'm, I'm up to almost 1400 miles since, I don't know, whenever, when everything shut down in March, um, just having like less of an excuse to not go do some physical activity. Cause you know, there, there was nothing to do. There were no bars to go to, yeah. um, you know, no restaurants to go to. So, you know, it, it, in general, I've, I've tried to turn it into a positive thing, but I don't even remember those three months, man. I, I don't even like know what I did other than, yeah, it was a blur. Like every day was a blur. And now yeah. it like, I know the season's been two months, <laughs> but it feels like it's been like a year. Uh, it's been it's yeah. been a weird time. Like in a way, it feels exactly like two months, but in a way, it feels like uh, the longest two months of my life. So uh, let's get into these takeaways, and we're going to start out more focused on on fantasy baseball, and then we'll get into the real baseball stuff later. Uh, but I think the I think the number one takeaway is, is pretty obvious. So I'll, I'll let you take that one, Drew. Yeah, I mean it's it's that like 
early round pick struggling proved to be the difference in, in many fantasy leagues this season. And, and every year there are going to be early round busts who, who can sink your fantasy team. Um, those players are usually go bust due to injuries though, and, and not like all out underperformance. But in this condensed 60 game season, it's almost like there was exponential damage. If you spent a top pick on someone who didn't return top pick value, um, and the reason for that is pretty simple. It's it's not that these players suddenly lost their talent. It's not that your evaluation on them was wrong. Like Christian Yelich comes to mind, Cody Bellinger, Alex Bregman, Javier Baez, J.D. Martinez. Um, it's just that a 60-game sample size is not reflective of true talent. It's not how baseball usually works. One small two- or three-week slump uh, in a normal season would be just, you know, par for the course, but in a nine week season, it can be a total killer. Yeah. Uh, and it has been for some. So yeah, this is more of a reflection than anything on what went down this season. I don't think even with the benefit of hindsight, you'd really change your draft strategy from the summer. Yeah. We talked last week about somebody like Bellinger, maybe he was rated a bit too highly. Um, it seems silly now that his average draft position was above teammate Mookie Betts, who just does a lot more um, from a categories standpoint. But still, you wouldn't have found anyone in any league that would have let Bellinger slip out of the first round. Yeah. Um, you know, hopefully for next year, we're back to a 162 game schedule and the cream will rise to the top again, as it usually does. And you won't have to worry so much about what these players can or cannot do across such diminished sample sizes. I don't envy folks who have to do projections, mm-hmm. who have to put projections into print. Um, I, I like do some of mine, just my own little rankings on the side um, because the data from this year is just going to be so tough to sift through. Like what should I trust? What shouldn't I trust? What should I throw out? Um, one early round player who went bust and kind of deserves his own little segment on this episode is, is Nolan Arenado. He was officially shut down for the season on Monday, uh, placed on the injured list with AC joint inflammation in his left shoulder and a bone bruise in that same shoulder, which were apparently lingering issues for him all year, or, or at least since late July. I, I read that he first injured the shoulder on a diving play at third base during the Rockies' second regular season series in Oakland, which was July 27th, 28th. Hmm. Um, so, so with that information and with the condensed schedule, I think you can excuse the career low 253 batting average and the 738 OPS and the relatively disappointing overall production. Um, but now, you know, Arenado enters a very uncertain offseason. That big eight year, $260 million extension he signed with the Rockies in, in the spring of 2019 has an opt out clause for after 2021. Um, and the Rockies are probably not in shape to be a contender with the pitching staff that they currently have. There were already trade rumors surrounding Arenado this past winter, and that stuff figures to heat up again as we push into November and December. I think he's going to get moved. Hmm. Um, and man, like, where does that drop his ADP next spring? Yeah. I think, you know, definitely out of the first round, maybe even like down into the third round. His career OPS at Coors Field is 985. His career OPS on the road is 793. Um, And you can do the math on what the difference in home runs and RBIs is between home and road splits. It depends on where he lands, of course, if he does get traded. Um, But yeah, we could be looking at Arenado in a much different light as we're preparing for fantasy drafts next spring. He's still a great player. At age 29, next year will be his age 30 season, probably a future Hall of Famer with the offense combined with the great defense. But I think the days of him averaging 40-plus homers and 120-plus RBIs and being a perennial 900 OPS guy, uh, I think that's all going to come to an end if if he moves out of Colorado. I guess it depends on where he he ends up. I mean, if he went to like the Yankees or something. I'm just trying to think of the teams that could afford that contract. Um, the Yankees could probably make room for him. <laughs> yeah, and it's, he, it's easy. He'd be, it's easy to make that connection. Yeah, yeah, uh, or you know the Mets. If you know, we'll we'll get into them a bit more later. But like those two, you know, make sense. The Dodgers, you know, I, I he would obviously be attractive in those situations. I, I think the key thing for Arenado is he he is one of those guys who was probably impacted by injury. Uh, J D Martinez is interesting in that. 
uh, video was so important to him and his yeah. success. And he that was a real adjustment for him. Uh, I think guys that maybe you were maybe you were a little hesitant to believe in, uh, at least at the level they produced last year, Pete Alonso, Glaber Torres, they have regressed this year. Torres has been hurt a little bit. So maybe you could have seen that a little bit, but I still think that, you know, they were so popular. It's not like they would have slipped significantly. Jose Altuve's struggled this year. You know, getting up in age probably won't offer much from a speed perspective. Uh, you know, just a weird year where I think a lot of these players, you know, especially when you're talking the top of the board, Yelich, Lindor, Bregman, like they just didn't have enough time for things to even out. And I think mm-hmm. they probably would have. So there is going to be a lot of recency bias in, in drafts, I'm sure, next year. Uh, I think with some of the more savvy fantasy players, you know, they'll take that into consideration and you might be able to get some pretty good values. So uh, it's going to be fascinating next spring for sure. Yeah, Javier Baez has talked about the video element to not, not being able to watch every at-bat after yeah. he takes it. Um, is that going to come back for sure next year? Because wasn't some of that in reaction to the Astros stuff, like I before so, the yeah. COVID? Yes, yeah. So I, yeah, and, and I mean, COVID's not going to be gone next spring, if we're being honest. Yeah, the, I'm sure there will, and we'll get into that a bit later as well. Um, yeah. it, it's still going to be a factor, I'm sure, uh, at least as far as like, uh, you know, the different protocols, maybe even expanded rosters, things like that. So we'll get into that in a minute. Um, my first takeaway is just the state of the starting pitcher in baseball right now. More wins going to relievers than ever before. Actually, 48% of pitcher wins this season have gone to relievers the most in MLB history. So you have to zoom out a little bit and say, you know, how much of this was influenced by the unique nature of this season where there was this unusual ramp up, pitchers weren't fully stretched out at the start of the year versus a real strain, uh, change in strategy like we've seen in, in recent years where pitchers weren't pitching deep into games. And I think the way that fantasy players have reacted in recent years is moving from the win to the quality start but even in a year like this year where even getting a pitcher staying in a game long enough to qualify for a win is hard enough but to have him go six innings and you know give up three or fewer runs like that's almost like the complete game is what you're asking for now um so even that was hard to combat so i i do think if we move back to something approaching a normal 162 uh, you know, with a full spring training, we're going to see things even out a little bit more uh, as far as that's concerned. But certainly this this year has just been a total crapshoot for, for starting pitching. And it hasn't helped that, you know, we've seen a number of big names go down. Justin Verlander, Steven Strasburg, Mike Soroka, which is more like a fluke play with the, with the uh, that was the, uh, what was it, a foot injury? Achilles. Achilles, Achilles yeah, yeah. yeah. Corey Kluber, and then you have relievers like Kirby Yates, Ken Giles. Shohei Otani was a weird one, too, where we, we still don't know necessarily what's going to happen there. But uh, you'd have to think the unusual ramp up certainly affected Otani and what happened there. James Paxson is another one. So, like, these guys that you took early and were counting on, like, we'll just never know if this was just, you know, typical pitcher injuries or if it was a reaction to the unusual ramp up to the season. But no, I really wouldn't be surprised. And hey, Mike Clevenger left his start yeah. after one inning uh, tonight, Thursday night. Uh, Wednesday. With a rec- it's it's Wednesday. Jim. Yeah. Oh yeah, it is Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking forward to Monday. Um, <laughs> with that same right biceps issue that cost him or caused him to be scratched from his last start. I know we're trying to keep this um, show kind of green, but. I mean, it, yeah, it, it will be relevant because I, I think the Padres are concerned that this could end his season. So Right. I mean, he's going to finish at, what, 41 and a two-third total innings for the year. Yeah, and, and that's another thing is, and we talked about this before, just the total mystery of pitchers yeah. who didn't really throw a lot of innings this year. And then, like, how many innings can pitchers realistically throw next year? And that includes, like, top prospects. Um, like a I, I, Nate Pearson I, yeah. or something that like barely pitched this year, but it's a top prospect. Uh, probably didn't know throw a lot of innings in the minors to begin with. So like, what do you do there? Like, it's just going to be a really confusing time next year. 
I would say in in general for your topic here though, I, I mean teams still want their their starters to go as deep as possible. I I think it was kind of a strategy thing in the early part of this year, and then having expanded rosters allowed you to go to your bullpen a little more freely. Yeah, I think in general the the top twenty five starting pitchers you can expect them to hopefully go six plus innings a night. Um, maybe, maybe we'll see a lot of seven inning double headers again next year. I wouldn't be surprised if they keep that, um, kind of format, uh, for makeup games, especially if COVID is still around. So, you know, the, the seven inning complete game is like the new nine inning complete game. Yeah. Like you kind of mentioned, right. Um, my next topic is just about bullpen usage in general. I expounded on this during our mailbag episode a couple weeks ago, uh, from a good question sent in by one of our listeners who asked which non-closers we were targeting for 2021 and if save plus hold leagues should be the standard moving forward, given the way managers use their relievers this season and really you know, the last few seasons. Now, the first part of the question, which non-closers to target, I kind of just dismissed. I'm tempted to like mostly throw this season out in terms of individual reliever numbers we're already dealing in small sample sizes with these guys in a normal year. And then you cut that by two thirds almost. Um, it is case by case though. Like I look at Devin Williams of the Brewers. That guy has made real strides with his arsenal and his command. Um, so I'd factor that into his projection next year. Edwin Diaz, big bounce back that I believed he could pull off, you know, before the season started and he's done it. Um, Trevor Rosenthal, a guy like healthy again, back to throwing triple digits. So actually, I'd be lying if I said I'm going to completely throw everything out when it comes to relievers. You have to consider some of this stuff from 2020 as you do your evaluations heading into 2021. But the larger point about save plus hold leagues, I think, makes all the all the sense in the world to me. Um, you turn that into one scoring category and it actually rewards talent rather than having you chase this outdated stat in an era where smart teams, smart managers tend to use their best relievers to put out the biggest fires, whether that's in the ninth inning or the seventh inning. Um, doesn't matter if it's a save situation. Again, you want fantasy sports to reward, you know, on field talent and production. The scoring should be set up that way. Um, and to not include holds in the mix for accounting stat is silly now. And I think it'll continue to look more and more silly as you know, smart teams get away from chasing save save totals. Um, track yeah, tracking bullpen rules this year was a, just a nightmare. A lot of games packed into two months, a ton of injuries after that abbreviated summer camp, um, and then you know it also goes back to managers just being more flexible with the use of their best relievers. Liam Hendricks of the A's was a very safe pick. Josh Hader safe. Brad Hand, Alex Colomay, um, just you know, safe picks on, on good teams who, who racked up, you know, they were used normally and produced league winning save totals, but you look a little further down that saves leaderboard and it gets pretty wacky, especially the guys that have, you know, racked up like one and two saves throughout the year. There's some of them you've probably never heard of. Yeah. Um, top setup men should be more valuable in general. Uh, but to give you that value, the standard scoring structure in fantasy needs to be changed. It has to go, beyond the few strikeouts you get from those setup types and the small help and ERA and whip that you get from those guys. I'm prepared to die on the holds plus saves Hill. Not that holds is like a perfect stat yeah. either, but it, it incorporates more of what makes good relievers. Good. I, I totally agree with you on that because like, think about the Rays, for example, uh, going into play on Wednesday, they had 36 wins. They're about to have 37 because they're, blowing things open against the Mets, but 12 different pitchers have notch saves for them this year. 12. And we're only a third, <laughs> like basically what, what would we be through a normal season? Like 50. So like one third of a way through a normal season. Yeah. And not even a third of the way. Yeah. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's crazy. It's crazy, but they're, they're one of the best teams in baseball. You know what I mean? And and you could look at any other number of teams. And I, I tried to do this before the show and uh, my eyes sort of crossed. But like, you know, you think about like the Giants, the Blue Jays, the Tigers, you know, you could go on and on with these teams that are used like multiple arms this year. There have been several teams that have had five or more players notch saves this year. So 
it, it, after a while, it's like, wow, you know, what are you chasing after? You're chasing after like a mediocre reliever, you know? So I don't know. I, I think there's better ways to incorporate uh, and, and reward players who with a, you know, a quality skill set. So I, I, I would definitely be on the side of, of adding holds onto saves for sure. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like the win, the, the yeah. pitcher win stat. Yeah. Like you mentioned, baseball is, is changing, which is something I like about it. Um, and I think fantasy scoring needs to change a little bit with it. You see it in fantasy football. Um, it's become the NFL has become a much more pass heavy league. So now leagues have a flex where you can plug in a wide receiver or a tight end or a running back or, or a super flex, you know, where you can plug in a wide receiver and a tight end. I think fantasy baseball needs to adapt to that. And, you know, it, it's on the big sites like Yahoo and ESPN to, to make that the standard to kind of lead people to that. So my next takeaway is basically if you didn't have additional IL spots in your league, chances are you had to make some really tough decisions or have a short bench, which can obviously hurt you in other ways. Uh, Not only did this require some quick thinking and analysis, but this was a year where multi-position eligible players uh, were really extremely valuable. I always chase after those kind of players anyway, but especially this year where you know, teams like the Marlins and the Cardinals, you know, missed over a week of action. I mean, that's that's really tough. Um, so it, that could easily sink teams. Um, so I hope that you had that expanded IL. I, I think in most leagues that I had, um, we had at least three IL spots. But there were some that even had four. You know, but if you had like your standard two, that's just, that's basically impossible. Um and I and sort of going back to what you were saying earlier, like I still think COVID will be with us next year, um, and with that in mind, I think we got to keep this around. I think we have to continue moving on with at least three IL spots being a standard in fantasy leagues, just on the off chance that that something could still happen. Um, just so you're not hurting yourself in other ways, where uh, just like if you had a you know, a top prospect, maybe you're stashing and you're not getting anything from them uh, and you end up hurting yourself where maybe you could hold an extra pitcher. I mean, that stuff makes a huge difference over the course of the season. Um, but yeah, I mean, multi-position eligible players that you can plug and play with this year, I mean, just really extremely valuable. Uh, I mean, there's any number of guys like Dylan Moore is someone I think was a real unsung hero with the Mariners yeah. or not even unsung. I, I think he's he's moved from being almost anonymous to being pretty much universally rostered. Uh, he's probably like the best example I can think of of someone who broke out this year. Yeah, finish. He's going to finish the year on the concussion IL. But what did he have like eight homers, 12 stolen bases? That's pretty incredible production for a guy who didn't start the year with a regular role yeah um can play a lot of different positions too yeah it was easier like from a mindset uh to be aggressive this season and you drop a player you know if he got injured and you knew you weren't going to have him for a couple weeks if if we go back to 162 game season next year it's going to be a a lot harder to let a player go you know (laughs) yeah definitely Uh, yeah this year was obviously easier but still we it took a little while for me to change my mindset as far as that was concerned, because I think I yep. sometimes do get stuck on the past uh, and oh. what players should do. So that was an adjustment for me. And probably, you know, given the kind of job that I have, a, a, sort of a disadvantage for me, uh, where someone who maybe was a more casual player, they they wouldn't stick to the like projections, you know? Yeah, man, we're creatures of habit, and we've been doing this a long time. Yeah. Um, my my other topic is that we were right to harp on the the central division pitchers, AL Central and NL Central, in this weird pandemic baseball season with the geographic based schedules. We spent a lot of time on that on our podcast leading up to the delayed season. I thought we were maybe overvaluing it a bit um in the lead up to the season but it definitely did seem like an edge when we were doing our revised draft prep during summer camp and it actually proved to be a huge edge mm-hmm. in the end of the 10 teams in the AL Central and NL Central only the White Sox and Twins 
rank in the top half in combined team OPS. The Pirates are dead last. And you can look at other things beyond OPS. I mean, the Pirates, Indians, Tigers, Cardinals, Royals, Cubs, Brewers, even the Reds, who we thought would be pretty dangerous, all below average offenses. Um, And some of those are, are some of those teams are very near the bottom in a lot of advanced metrics uh, that, that go beyond OPS. And it bears out Shane Bieber is going to win the American League Cy Young Award, um, possibly even the American League MVP. Mm-hmm. You Darvish or Corbin Burns could win that the Cy Young of the National League. I think Trevor I think Bauer it, is going to win it. Trevor Bauer, yeah. another central guy. I, I, th- I think it should go to Jacob deGrom, considering the schedule disadvantage with having a pitch in the East. Yeah, Matthew um, Poliot had a great tweet the other day. And, and to be fair, like... I think this year is basically wide open in the National League. And whoever wins among, like, Bauer, Burns, Darvish, DeGrom, like, I have no problem with it. It's fine. But Poliot put out a tweet the other day saying, Jacob DeGrom has thrown 100% of his innings against teams that rank in the top 60% of MLB and runs scored per game. So, again, 100%. (laughs) That number is 11% for Trevor Bauer, 10% for Hugh Darvish, and 7% for Corbin Burns. This was... Just yesterday, he tweeted this out. So not much has changed there. But that really puts in perspective the level of competition that DeGrom has been forced to face versus these other guys. So even though DeGrom's trailing in terms of ERA, I mean, the strikeout numbers are insane. Uh, he has the lowest FIP in the majors if you're into that. Uh, but even just from an eye test perspective, I've never seen Jacob DeGrom look better. Uh, but the, I don't want to take anything away from even like a Shane Bieber who has just been a machine and in a year where I don't think there's a runaway winner in the American League for MVP, I wouldn't be shocked if he won that either. And, he, and it's well-deserved. I mean, you can only pitch against who's on the schedule, you know? Yeah, I mean, you just I, I think we give ourselves a pat on the back for talking so much about it. Yeah. Um, I mean, you look at the fantasy scoring leaderboard for starting pitchers. Bieber, of course, Darvish, Burns, Bauer, Luis Castillo, Lucas Giolito, Kyle Hendricks, Kenta Maeda, Brandon Woodruff, Carlos Carrasco, Aaron Savali. Those are all top 20 uh, starting Mm -hmm. pitchers, all from the central. And obviously a lot of those guys have the talent, but they also had the schedule on their side. And I mean, sometimes when you find an edge in fantasy, it doesn't actually work out to be much of an edge, but yeah, this was a massive one. And I'm not the first person to say this. I think Matthew Pouliot was, was, tweeting about this too, that the baseball writers association of America probably should have pushed for East central and West based awards this season. Yeah. I, um, I, I, I get that. I, I do. And, you know, sort of going back to what we were saying initially, like your first point about, you know, first rounders who have underwhelmed, they only face teams from their region. You know, they didn't even face any of the other teams in division. So like, it's just not even reflective of, of much, especially going into next year where they will go back facing all of these other teams and traveling and all this other stuff. So it's just it's a, it's just a snippet of information that I think, you know, you can go in and look at like baseball savant and see certain things, exit velocity, you know, pitcher velocity, swinging strike percentage, all these things. But like, it's just a snippet. It's just 60 games and like, just take it for what it is, you know? Yeah, these were really three separate leagues, even more so than in a normal season with National League, American League, because of expanded interleague play. Like these were silos on, yeah. on into themselves. Yeah. Um, so I, I, it would have been cool to have an award for East Central, an MVP for East Central West, uh, a Cy Young for East Central West. That that would mess with the record books and with yeah. a guy's baseball reference page. But it's, I think it's just a whole lot more fair given the completely uneven competition. And, and this season's going to mess with record books anyway. And yeah. next season might too. Um, I guess the question now, you know, as, as we begin to look ahead is, will we see a geographic oriented schedule in 2021? I, um, yeah, this kind of goes right into my next takeaway, just about the new rules in general. I, I think, it's just too soon to say where we're going to be as far as the pandemic's concerned. But I yep. think MLB getting through this season, which I, I didn't think that they would. My, my mm-hmm. gut feeling in the beginning is this wouldn't, wouldn't work. Um, so that they've made it to this point. They're about to go into this postseason bubble. Uh, I feel very optimistic that they will get through it and it'll be fine at this point. Um, 
that gives me a lot of confidence going into next year and their ability to handle it. I'm hoping by then, as a country, we have a better handle on things. Uh, and, you know, there's reason to be optimistic uh, at this point in time. So let's just assume we're going to go with a 162. At that point, I think the regions are probably thrown out. I think they're not going to do that. But You would think they, they would have to, yeah. But Yeah, so... But these other rules that, that have changed, universal designated hitter, the expanded postseason, the changes with extra innings, the seven-inning doubleheaders, as you said, like this kind of stuff was all thrown in after COVID. So teams didn't plan for it last offseason. Many fantasy teams that were already drafted back in March, so like the fantasy players didn't even get to react to these changes, universal DH, etc. So the question is, what will stay for 2021 and how will that impact how teams operate this offseason and how fantasy players approach drafts next year universal designated hitter expanded postseason with some of these kind of things it's hard to put the toothpaste back in the tube as they say uh especially when it comes to uh the expanded postseason we know that uh, mlb commissioner rob manfred wants the expanded playoffs to stay which in other words, basically means that MLB owners want it to stay. <laughs> and why wouldn't they? Because, you know, the playoff money is pretty sweet, especially from a television perspective. But also, if a 500 season can get you into the playoffs, teams might not feel like they have to spend a lot in order to make a deep run. So it could save owners money, uh, give them a, an excuse not to spend, not to sign that high price free agent. I know this has been expected to be a tough offseason anyway due to the fallout from COVID-19 and owners claiming that they've lost money. Uh, but, you know, if we continue to see 16 out of the 30 teams make it, which I should, I need to say, I don't like that at all. It's just extra incentive for teams to not be aggressive uh, in terms of free agency, extensions, trades, whatever the case may be. Yeah. I mean, I, I hate the expanded postseason. It, and especially the format that they're going with this year, and it's fine for this year. I understand why they're doing it. Um, but if there's got to be like a reward for winning the division, right? Absolutely. Or just it's it's or insane. Just... I, I I it's fine for this year, but like the Dodgers are far and away the best team in the National League. Like, why even put them in a scenario where they could lose a three game series? Yeah. It's, right, they could lose two or three, and it's over. Yeah, it just doesn't make sense. But for future seasons, maybe if they can tweak that a little bit, where maybe they give the teams with the you know best two record, you know two best records, they kind of get a buy or whatever. There's got to be a smarter way uh, to reward those teams with best records. So uh, if they could, uh, I still wouldn't like 16 out of 30 teams to make it, but. Uh, you got to make the regular season mean something like why play 162 games if you can just get eliminated in three games in the postseason? It just doesn't, it's not, it's not baseball. And with the universal DH, like it makes sense just to make that permanent. I'm all about um, it. I, I haven't, and I'm, I'm a national league fan. You are too. too. Yeah, I haven't yeah. missed pitchers hitting at all. I know. Not and, well, at all. for me, for me, it was never about wanting to see pitchers hit. It was just it, it added an element of strategy. Yeah. Um. And you you kind of force the other team to make a decision sometimes, and I liked that. Um. But yeah, I I think the DH is is a much better brand of baseball, to be honest. Um. Yeah. But I also like this is something that the the players union has wanted. Um, and like, it's, I think it's national league owners that actually, you know, were kind of hesitant to institute it. So with the players union, like not having a whole lot of leverage right now and the new CBA coming up, what is that after 2021? Mm -hmm. If I don't know if I'm like heading up the players union, I'm like this, we need to kind of use this as leverage. Um, and especially when Manfred said that he's, you know, he, I don't know. I don't know what the quote was. It was like, yeah, everyone thinks the expanded postseason's great now. I'm paraphrasing, but <laughs> I'm like, first of all, no one said that. And also, like, is he allowed to just unilaterally like impose an expanded postseason? Wouldn't that have to be part of the new CBA as well, or at least get approval from the players' association? There would probably um, have to be some new agreement, sort of like you know, happened back in March, and then sort of an amended agreement before. Well, they didn't even come to an agreement, right? He did yeah, no, finally just decide, like, okay, we're playing because <laughs> they couldn't come to the agreement. But remember how how easily that was forgotten. Yes, <laughs> like, oh there was boy. Such tension. Yeah, 
Yeah. So that's as as we look ahead to the which are sure to be like contentious CBA talks. It, just remember that like two days after there's some kind of thing in place, some kind of agreement, even if it's a non-agreement, you you forget about it pretty quickly. So uh, another thing about the universal DH, I, I think we're talking about you know, before the season started, like, oh, the NL teams didn't get a chance to build their rosters with a DEH in mind. If you go strictly by OPS, uh, NLDHs have a 741 OPS, ALDHs are at 738. So <laughs> they're basically That's... the same. If you go by more weighted statistics, the AL has like slight advantage just because of Coors Field. Uh, but basically it's complete wash. Um, so there's that at least. I think from a fantasy perspective, like assuming that the universal DH is, is there for good, which I I think we have to assume that, but you can go into next year from a fantasy perspective, keeping that in mind where in the past, maybe you'd be more inclined to take a national league pitcher because you know, they're going to face the pitcher this year or next year, you know, you can go into, uh, 2021 where if you're, kind of on the you know you're deciding between two pitchers and you kind of like the AL pitcher's talent level a little bit more you you'd be more likely to go for that AL pitcher you know where in the past it'd be kind of a separation there and you'd be more likely to go for the NL uh, I think it, it's certainly evens it out now yeah we talked about it when it became more and more clear that the universal DH was coming that you kind of just assume like, oh yeah, there's just a ton of bunch of there's just sluggers out there that you could an NL team could just pick up like David Ortiz and Edgar Martinez. Those guys don't just like pop up, you know, yeah. for for any team to to come and grab. Like those those are generational guys, those sluggers that. But it does extend the career of you see a guy like Daniel Vogelbach raking for the Brewers. Mm-hmm. You know, he he might have run out of options if there were only. 15 teams with with dh slots and now you've got 30 so i like that element of it and you know nelson cruz is a free agent this winter maybe he could you know that expands his market after another fantastic season at at age 40 that's true i mean the mets have been a big uh benefactor of that too with you know spots for both dom smith uh and pete alonso to play and you know robinson cano can get some dh time so that's been a huge help for them dom smith enjoying a, a breakout year but like you were saying, I think it does extend careers of veterans. Uh, you know, the Phillies have had Jay Bruce in there. They've had Andrew McCutcheon coming off the ACL in there. So, uh, but in general, I think teams, you know, want to have a versatile athletic roster. So I, I think for the most part, you know, guys like a JD Martinez or Nelson Cruz, like that's kind of the exception and not the norm, I think, at this point. Yep. So a uh, quick promo here. The all new Roto-World Premium subscription packages have the tools and resources you need to dominate your fantasy leagues from drafts through the playoffs. Best of all, subscriptions are not just one sport. They include football, baseball, basketball, and hockey. And as a listener, the Roto-World Baseball podcast get $10 off any annual subscription to Roto-World Premium. To find your edge, visit rotoworld.com edge using the promo code BBPOD10 at checkout. Again, rotoworld.com slash edge, and the promo code is BBPOD10. All right, on to another uh, takeaway from 2020. We, we did our all-rebound teams for 2021 last week, uh, which is an episode that still holds up and should hold up throughout the winter if people missed it and want to go back and listen. But I will reiterate a point I made on that show um, or like a statement I made on that show. I'm planning on having Lance McCullers on every fantasy roster next season. And I say that so definitively because I think he'll come at a relatively low draft day investment. Um, I'm thinking like mid middle rounds, maybe even mid to later rounds in some more casual leagues, unless the hype train really takes off, which I guess I'm feeding into that hype train by talking about him so much, but you look at the overall numbers in his first year back from Tommy John surgery, and they're not super impressive and they're not going to be super impressive by draft season next year. I think with only one more start to go this Saturday against the Rangers, at least in the regular season, he has a three and three record a 4.24 ERA and a 47 to 18 strikeout to walk ratio in 51 innings. So pretty mediocre, but it's just two bad starts. Really. If if you look into the, the game log, that sort of torpedoed his rate stats. And in one of them, he was struggling through a neck issue. 
spent some time on the injured list. That's the nature of this condensed schedule. A good pitcher isn't going to be able to, or wasn't able to normalize his ERA if he had one or two rough outings. And I think McCullers gets a pass to some degree coming off Tommy John. Um, Over his last two outings, he's allowed zero earned runs while racking up 15 strikeouts in 13 and two-thirds innings. He's getting better and better as he moves further and further away from the owner collateral ligament repair. By the start of spring training next February, he'll be, I believe, 29 full months beyond it. Um, And maybe there will be a workload concern. We talked about this earlier after McCullers tops out at like 65 innings this year between the regular season and whatever the Astros do in the postseason. Um, but every starter will be dealing with that at some level. You know, we'll see, man, down the stretch next year when these pitchers are working up towards, you know, 180, even 200 innings, what kind of effect this shortened campaign could have physically. I, I don't think anyone can make a real educated guess about the lingering effects of going from such limited work to back to normalcy. What is that like called the Verducci effect? Um, yeah, (laughs) in case, yeah, anyone's unfamiliar with that, Tom Verducci wrote an article for sports illustrated like 15 years ago about the dead arm issues that come with a a pitcher throwing a low number of innings in live competition one year to a much greater number of innings the next year. It's kind of just common sense and it doesn't apply across the board either, but you know, it's, it's part of pitchers need a more gradual buildup and I guess we'll see who the true workhorses are in 2021 or see which pitchers get lucky. I I think there's going to be some carnage with injuries, like maybe on par with what we saw this season, but now spread over six months rather than two, there's going to, there's going to be even more pitchers that you've never heard of taking major league bounds. Yeah. Um, So getting into some more like real baseball stuff here, I I think as, as far as the way this season is played out and, and yeah, the playoffs are expanded, but Coming into March, you know, when we thought there would be a regular 162 game schedule and the standard playoff arrangement, we were talking about the Padres and the White Sox. They were certainly on the radar. The White Sox were improved. The Padres were had some exciting elements about them, you know, really promising farm system as well. But I don't think they were necessarily favorites for a playoff spot. But I think they've arrived sooner than expected this year. Of course, the Padres led by Fernando Tatis Jr., but also, Manny Machado, who might be the NL MVP. Yep. Jake Cronenworth, who nobody ever heard of before this season. Uh, then the rotation, Denelson Lamette, who you know got some hype coming into this year, but Zach Davies has been amazing. Um, and of course, they were aggressive at the trade deadline. Mike Clevenger might not pitch again this year, but uh, Austin Nola, Mitch Moreland, Trevor Rosenthal. So really going for it. Going into play Wednesday, 34-22. and 22, Second best record in the National League. And then there's the White Sox, 34 and 21 going into play on Wednesday, a half game in front of the Twins for first place in the AL Central. I don't think we would have thought that coming into the year. Luis Robert has actually faded quite a bit in September. Juan Moncada hasn't been himself after a bout with COVID, but Tim Anderson and Jose Abreu, they are legitimate MVP candidates there. Uh, Eloy Jimenez is mashing. Yasmani Grandal has basically been as advertised, striking out a little more than than we're used to seeing, but still, you know, the defensive reputation he has. Uh, Lucas Giolito has backed up what he did last year. Dallas Keuchel has been amazing, 204 ERA over 10 starts. Dane Dunning, really exciting prospect. The bullpen has been lights out. Matt Foster, Cody Hewer has, has arrived. Garrett Crochet. He's come up and yeah, he's been crazy. throwing straight bullets 101 mile per hour. Uh, there was just a there was a stat that went up a little while ago. I've been trying to find it. Uh, just the number of pitches he's thrown over 100 miles per hour. I mean, he hasn't been up that long, but the number is like crazy high. Um, and then consider there's even more help on the way for the White Sox. Andrew Vaughn, their top hitting prospect. Michael Kopech who opted out this season, making his way back from Tommy John surgery. He'll be back next year. Nick Madrigal, we've already seen him a little bit, but as he gets more experience in the majors. So the White Sox are dangerous. These teams aren't going away. The Padres farm system, they didn't trade away any of their big names uh, to get Mike Clevenger. So they have more talent coming. Uh, These teams are for real, and they're going to be here for a long time. Yeah, Andrew Vaughn was uh, added to the 
White Sox postseason player pool on Thursday morning too. I think it would take probably like Jose Abreu and Edwin Encarnacion both getting injured for him to come up. But yeah. that's a that's a big time offensive prospect they have, and he played some third base at summer camp too. Hmm. Um, so, so he can play more than first in, in case something happens to Yon Moncada, who you're right has just looked. I mean, he he has admitted that he's just he has struggled to regain his strength since battling COVID and. I mean, that's something we, we don't really know either, like long-term effects of, of this virus and how that might affect players who, who did catch it this season or and who might catch it over the winter, right. you know, when they go to their off-season homes and interact with people more outside of the baseball world. Yeah. Um, I, I'm definitely a believer in the Padres and White Sox. I think you could see those breakouts coming to some degree. You're right. I don't think we thought they'd be suddenly the best, some of the best teams in the league. Um, what the Marlins have done this year, going from 105 losses in 2019 to possibly or likely being a playoff team this year, depends on what happens over these next four games. I think that was a whole lot more unexpected, mm-hmm. especially when you throw in the fact that like what 60% of their active roster got caught up in a COVID-19 outbreak in July. I mean, that's insane. They probably would have already clinched a postseason spot if not for that. Yeah. Um, I, I think they're kind of for real or like on the cusp of being for real moving forward. And it happened a lot quicker. I, I know that you and I have kind of been saying like, they're, they're going to be good quicker than a lot of people think. Yeah. Um, the, the young rotation Sixto Sanchez at 22 years old coming on this season, 24 year old Pablo Lopez, Sandy Alcantara is 25, Trevor Rogers, 22, Elazar Hernandez, Edward Cabrera is on the way. Um, maybe they'll regret trading Zach Allen to the Diamondbacks, but they did get top middle infield prospect Jazz Chisholm in that deal, which kind of brings me to my point that they, they do need an offensive star to really complete that rebuild. Yeah. Starling Marte helps the cause um, a trade deadline addition this August, and he has an option for 2021 that's, I think it's $12.5 million, which they, I would assume they're going to pick up. Yeah. Um, Chisholm could be a thing, uh, not a great hitter at this point, but I think people expect him to be. Jorge Alfaro, he was my all-rebound catcher for next year. Um, Brian Anderson's like a nice piece um, with maybe some more upside to tap into. He's he's followed up his breakout 2019 in decent fashion, but they need like J.J. Blade or Chisholm or Lewin Diaz or one of their several outfield prospects to really break through Monte Harrison, Jesus Sanchez. Um, Lewis Brinson has finally started to shine a little bit lately. So maybe he could be a post type guy. And, you know, granted with, with that cost controlled young pitching staff, Derek Jeter and company should have the freedom to spend for some impact, impactful bats and free agency, like George Springer, DJ LeMahieu, or a return of Marcelo Zuna. Yeah, I was going to say Ozuna would be kind of cool. I mean, it's a yeah. totally different. Well, not necessarily. They actually sent him out. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, Jeter and company. But uh, yeah, bringing Ozuna back could be cool. Ozuna's been amazing, dude. Yeah, I know. I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> you look at the, the the Cardinals have like one of the worst um, offensive outfields in the modern era at this point. Dylan Carlson has, has started to rake a bit, though, so that's encouraging. Um, Michael Brantley is going to be a free agent, too. He'd be kind of like a nice, steadying veteran addition for Miami. I, I could certainly see them being active on the trade market, too, with all, all the kind of B-level prospects they have to go get a bat. We'll do a big off-season preview episode after the World Series and really dig into the available free agents and guess where they might land and and get into what the financial landscape might look like for some of those guys with no fan attendance revenue for teams yeah. this year and some slashed TV money. I guess the expanded postseason does help some in that regard, but there are going to be a lot of owners crying poor this winter. So look forward to that. It it seems all but certain that the winter meetings will be canceled. They were supposed to happen in Dallas, Texas, like the second week of December. Um, so maybe signings will be spread out a little more over the off season to give us some podcast content. <laughs> uh, but the activity at the winter meetings was had already kind of slowed down anyway over the last few years. So yeah. maybe uh, things won't be too different in that regard. I th- I think last last uh, uh, last winter meetings were actually kind of active, which I think was kind of orchestrated in a way. Uh, I think MLB wanted that to be kind of an exciting time again, and it kind of yeah. worked out that way. 
that's just my conspiracy theory, but I, I think there's something to it. But I think one team that will not be crying poor this offseason is the Mets. Uh, it's weird. feels weird saying that, but uh, <laughs> yeah. Steve Cohen signed an agreement uh, earlier this month to buy the Mets from the Wilpons and the Cats families for $2.475 billion. Uh, the, the next step is getting approval from the other MLB owners. Um, Cohen needs 23 out of 29 votes, the other owners, uh, to say uh, to get a yes it seems like that will happen. There has been some chatter about some resistance from other owners. Uh, Cohen did have a notable insider trading scandal in his past, but he was never charged. Uh, but purely from a baseball perspective, there's been some chatter that other owners are concerned he's going to spend too much money on players and throw the market out of whack. But uh, odds are he's going to get through just fine. Assuming that's the case, I'm expecting a pretty significant overhaul with the Mets, certainly with the front office. It would be surprising if Brody Van Wagenen is back. There's already been reporting that Sandy Alderson will have a position in the new front office there, uh, even if just in advisory capacity. Uh, Luis Rojas, the Mets' first-year manager, his future is unclear. I think he should be back, deserves to be back. Um, I, I think a lot of turnover would be a really bad thing. Uh, Rojas has been in the Mets organization for a long time, actually managed a lot of the current roster in the minors. So I I think that would be viewed as a negative. He was let go after one year, especially given that a lot of the team's failures this year were not his fault. Um, so I hope he stays, but we'll, we'll see. Uh, Cohen has a net worth of $14 billion. So (laughs) I think, I think Mets fans can expect him to be pretty active, especially his first off season, wanting to build some excitement. Uh, JT Romuto probably at the top of the board uh, for the Mets, the the perfect fit there. Um, so we'll see. I think it'll be a bidding war between the Mets and the Phillies. We'll see what happens there. Michael Conforto extension feels like a must, but then you get into some of the other names, which you mentioned already. Uh, Springer, Azuna, they could be fits. Maybe the Mets have needed a center fielder for a long time. Springer could fit that. Trevor Bauer could be an yeah, interesting one. I was going to say Bauer. And Bauer, you know, seems to want to go like year to year. He's been talking about in the past. So, you know, if the Mets want to make a splash, you know, if Cohen wants to make a splash to start his tenure as Mets owner, gives Bauer, I don't know, $30 million for a year. Maybe. Could happen. Um, other names, Marcus Stroman out there. Maybe they could bring him back. Masahiro Tanaka It's going into free agency. Uh, I don't know if some of the other names out there are fit, some of the other top free agents. And again, we'll get into that in a couple of weeks. But I think the Mets are going to be one of those teams where where other teams are going to be more hesitant. I think Cohen's going to be super aggressive and take advantage of a, of a weak market. Yeah, and maybe there will be some discounts. I, I feel like the top free agents are still going to get paid, but it's hard to predict anything, honestly. I, yeah. I, I think I don't want to use the word collusion, but I... I feel like all all of the MLB owners are kind of on board that, hey, we're going to slow down the spending this winter because we, we can get away with it. Yeah, and especially um, if there are going to be expanded playoffs. I, I think teams aren't going to feel like they have to spend. Yeah, I don't think the Cardinals are going to have a very good offseason. I mean, they've got some bad contracts coming off the books this winter and then next winter. Um, so they might kind of try to execute a rolling rebuild, which I would like. They'll never use that word um, rebuild, but they need something like that. Anyway, so, I'm, I'm getting uh, sad. <laughs> okay. So that wraps up our, our takeaways, 10 takeaways from the 2020 season. And again, we'll do a, fr- uh, a hot stove preview uh, toward the end of the postseason, probably when the World Series is, is over. Uh, so keep an eye out for that uh, about a month from now, a month and a week or so. Uh, So we're going to close out the show here just talking about some weekend streamers. Uh, We're recording the show Wednesday. So, you know, you're going to hear this probably Thursday. uh, So you have some time to pick these guys up. Uh, Friday, uh, just four names who came to mind. Uh, Both sides of the matchup with the Cardinals and the Brewers. Daniel Ponce de Leon has been pitching really well recently. Uh, So I'd be willing to go with him against the Brewers who have really been unimpressive offensively this year. Josh Lindblom, I'd go with him too. He's actually pitched pretty well recently too. And you were just saying the Cardinals offense, not great. Uh, So I'm I'm on board there. Uh, Spencer Turnbull gets the Royals. The Royals lineup doesn't scare me. Uh, So I think I'm into that as well. Turnbull uh, turned in a a really good start recently. I know he's been up and down 
Um, but I'm, I'm going to be on that matchup too. Antonio Senzatella gets the Diamondbacks in Arizona. Uh, the Diamondbacks are a bad team right now, so I'd, I'd be on that matchup too. So that's Friday. Saturday, uh, John Means at the Blue Jays. Um, he, he's pitched well lately. He's kind of regained some velocity. Um, Joe Musgrove at the Indians on Saturday. The Indians lineup has like Jose Ramirez and a little bit of Francisco Lindor, and then that's about it. Um, it's amazing that, that they've done so well from, from a standing standpoint with, I mean, like having to trade or not having to trade, but trading Mike Clevenger and having to to discipline Zach Plesak. And, um, they've just, you know, they brought up Tristan McKenzie, who's been, you know, pretty darn good for the most part. And Aaron Savali and and they've gotten contributions from, from guys you wouldn't really expect. I, I like the back end of their bullpen at least too. And then Justice Sheffield versus the Athletics at home on Saturday. He's been sharp lately. And I don't know, the Athletics are down. Matt Chapman, who's done for the season. And yeah, I don't know. I, I, I He's kind of a deeper league type option. Sheffield's had a pretty nice year, even though the stuff has kind of regressed a little bit. I think, you know, sort of zooming out for these matchups, like when you think about, you know, a team like the Athletics, the Indians, the Blue Jays, and then going on to Sunday, I have Drew Smiler against Drew Smiley against the Padres. Like these teams will have clinched postseason spots. They might be yeah. resting regulars or taking them out after three or four innings. So definitely keep that in mind. Like I wouldn't be too afraid of some of these teams where normally you'd be like, I don't know, or like you know someone going up against the Braves, whatever. Like I'd kind of throw that stuff out the window and, and focus on yeah some recent performances, but also the skill set. Joe Musgrove, you're looking for strikeouts. Uh, Brady Singer, I know he wasn't as good uh, Tuesday night, but gets the Tigers on Sunday at home. I'm all about that. Uh, JT Brubaker had a really nice start the other day. He's been pitching well recently. Gets the Indians on Sunday. So we are picking on the Indians a bit. Musgrove Saturday, Brubaker Sunday. Uh, But I think these are really solid options uh, to finish out the year here. But, of course, last weekend of the season – you know, weird things happen. Everything's subject to change. Some of these games could be bullpen games. Who knows? Uh, but good options to get you started. And all these pitchers are available in more than 50% of Yahoo leagues. You know you know what else, though? Like, it's starting to look like the Cardinals are going to have to play that doubleheader against the Tigers uh, yeah. on Monday. Yeah. Um, and how is that going to affect, like, fantasy leagues? I think those... it, it'll count, right? Yeah, it, I think it would. It, in a normal kind of situation, it would. Yeah. Um, so that's another thing to keep in mind is like grab some Cardinals position players, you know, yeah. Uh, yep. you know, a Colton Wong, or, you know, even the deeper league, like a Dexter Fowler, Brad Miller, who's Brad Miller, really yeah. tanked in September, but you know, he's a guy that can get you a home run randomly in one of those two doubleheader games. I mean, would you, would you want to get like a Tyler O'Neill and, and go for home run ball or sure. Yeah. Um, and it looks like, I, I, I don't know. I mean, they're, their pitching is already so strained and it looks like Carlos Martinez might've su- suffered an oblique injury tonight. So it's probably going to be like Quang Young Kim throwing the first half of that double header. And I guess Johan Oviedo throwing in, in the second game. Um, I like Kim a lot. He's probably already rostered in most yeah. leagues, but Oviedo has good stuff. Hasn't really had a great rookie season, but he wouldn't be pitching in the majors anyway. And I, I mean, I can't imagine who the, how how jazzed up the tigers are going to be to play those two games like i mean they they've already packed their bags i would assume um, yeah yeah i mean the other thing about the cardinals so you know they're going to start this series against the brewers on thursday they'll play five games over the weekend thursday friday saturday sunday five games in that time span then two more games so the cardinals will have seven games from thursday through if they do play this doubleheader I mean, that's some nice value you could pack in at the last moment. So I would try to grab some Cardinals. You know, if you're trying, you know, if you are making decisions between a player who you know only has four games left, I mean, totally try to max out your your roster as much as you can. So uh, good reminder there, Drew. Appreciate that. (laughs) So I I think uh, next week there's going to be a postseason preview episode. with Chris and Colin, I'm going to have to talk to them about that. And, you know, we'll do some planning as far as that's concerned. I think that would be a nice way to get the postseason started. It's going to be a pretty exciting time. And we'll probably be back in two weeks 
kind of breaking down anything that's going on in the playoffs, any newsworthy items uh, in baseball or, you know, whatever fantasy impact might be involved. Um, So we'll see you then. Uh, But as always, if you like what you're hearing with the show, be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're listening on Apple, Apple Podcasts, please rate and review if you don't mind. We would appreciate that. Follow us on Twitter if you don't already. I'm at DJ Short. Drew is at Drew Silve. Be safe out there, and we will see you next time. Enjoy the postseason. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.